Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. I'm being brave this morning and wearing the headpiece. I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. I usually like to have something in my hand, so it's all good though. So this morning we are going to be looking at transformation and how we are called to transformation, called to transform ourselves um, from being that of the world to being that as one in Christ. But the world is full of transformation. We see and experience it every single day. In fact, life on earth would not exist without transformation. From the invisible to the visible, transformations are happening in the world around us. From the food that we digest being transformed into energy to fuel the multitudes of functions that occur within our cells to power our bodies to the magnificent transformation of a caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly. Energy is constantly being transformed. Anyone who was paying attention at school may remember the saying, energy is neither created nor destroyed, but it has the ability to be transformed into thermal energy, kinetic energy, chemical energy, sound and light energy. And this is how we are able to harness the energy of the sun and the wind and the waves and transform it into electrical energy. Photosynthesis is the process by which light energy is converted into glucose and stored within plants. And we eat those plants and therefore gain that energy and that, then that energy goes back out into the world around us. When we stop and realise just how intricately it was made and formed and how it all works together, we can't but help marvel at our creation. And I think that's why I love science so much. I love the fact that the, we can see and I can look into the way in which God's creation has come about. So while we can be in awe of the transformations of the world that happen in nature, the purpose of my message today isn't to just give you a giant big science lesson. I know I'm sure you all would be excited about that. 
But what we're looking at today is to stop and look at the role of transformation in our journey as followers of Christ. So would you pray with me, church? Heavenly Father, may our hearts and minds be open to your word. May the words I speak be from you, and may they only be used to build up and encourage us all today. Amen. So the reading for today actually comes, it was a huge, big reading. It came from Colossians 1, chapter 15 to 28. Um, and I'm actually only going to focus on two verses from that because it was quite a substantial reading. And really, you could have, I could have, uh, we could have done a whole preaching series on that reading. So I thought, no, I'm just going to pick a snippet out of it. Um, so it comes from Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 28. And it's a letter by Paul to the church at Colossae, who was... It was established by Epaphras. He was described as a beloved servant and faithful minister of Christ. And the letter is full of encouragement to the church at Colossae, but the main purpose of that message was to act as a warning to the young church. So let's have a look at the passage from Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. It says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The young Colossian church was at the beginning of their transformation. However, that transformation was at risk of being derailed. They were in this a little bit of a confused and time of confusion. They were hearing from Greek philosophers and um, Jewish Christians telling them about circumcision and that they had to be circumcised. And they also had um, the old ways of doing things, the, the moral standards from um, the people around them. And they were in a bit of a turmoil. They were trying to piece everything all together. So they had, kind of like us now, we have things being, we bombarded all the time by what the world is telling us to do. And so while they had been given this really good start by Epaphras, they were at risk of being deceived by false teaching. And if they had continued on that path, then they were at risk of ending up very a long way from the initial truth that they had heard about the gospel. 
So the message, if we read all of, all of Colossians, there's lots of little bits and pieces that Paul puts together to help them. And they are reminded that as part of their transformation with, to be one with Christ, there are certain things that they need to start doing and there's things that they need to stop doing. So they need to start, sorry, they need to stop listening to the false teaching and the, the bombardment from the world around them. And they need to put to death the things of their earthly nature from which they once were part of. They also need to start doing things. They need to start and continue to work on their faith. They need to start to hold dear to themselves that of which they had already learnt from Epaphras. They needed to continue to work on their faith, which was established and firm, and to not move from the hope held out in the gospel, and to set their minds on the things from above and not on earthly things. And I thought it would be important just to have a bit of a think about who this letter was from and to have a, a bit of a go at working out why, why was Paul writing to them. And if we look at transformation, the, the most substantial transformation that we can find in the, in the Bible, um, in the New Testament, is the transformation of Paul from being once Saul. So Paul first appears on the scene as a young man called Saul in Acts chapter 7. Saul is present at the stoning of Stephen. Now Stephen was a young man who was full of the Holy Spirit and he was... Um, out there performing great signs and wonders amongst the people. And like any of those up-and-comers, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't like it at all. So there was a plot against him, and he was brought before a council of Sadducees. And rather than defending himself against any of the accusations that were presented to him, he stood there and gave them a quite substantial uh, list of all the ways in which the Israelite people had failed to listen to all the prophets of the past. He hit them with the truth about their lack of transformation and they did not like it. So unfortunately for poor Stephen, he was put to death. Saul was present at the stoning of Stephen and he approved of it. And he spent much of his time chasing after and putting into jail new followers of the way. 
which was the Christian church at the time. But on his way to Damascus, in an attempt to go and hunt down more Christians, Jesus appeared in a bright light, blinding him. And Jesus spoke to him and said, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul replied, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go to the city, and you will be told of what you must do. Because he was blinded, he was led there to a man called Ananias. Ananias had received a vision himself, and Jesus had told him to go and find Saul and meet with him. But of course, Ananias was like, that's Saul, you know who Saul is, he's going to arrest me and get me put into, into, into prison. He's like, no, no, it's okay. This man is my chosen instrument. So Ananias found Saul, and because Saul had been blinded by that light, he cured his vision, his lack of vision, restored his vision, and at that time, scales fell from Saul's eyes. It's almost as if the scales were what was preventing him from seeing the truth of the gospel. So Saul then got up, was baptised, and he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, learning a little bit more about who Jesus was, and he began at once to preach the good news that Jesus was the Son of God. So as part of Saul's transformation to Paul, he stopped doing what he was doing, which was persecuting the church. And he started to learn more and more about Jesus. And he started on the journey of devoting the rest of his life to building up the church. So in essence, today isn't just about the story of the transformation of the Colossians. It's also about realising just how far Paul had come in his journey of transformation. From being one who persecuted the church to one who wrote a multitude of letters, encouraging them and building them up and making sure that they were on the right path to transformation as well. So most of us do not have a road to Damascus experience. Very few of us are thrown from our donkeys, if we ride donkeys at all these days, um, and blinded by God's presence. For us, our transformation is a long process that happens over months and even years. And even Paul himself would never testify that his transformation was ever complete. And he would write in his letters of his own experiences and his own struggles. 
In Romans chapter 7, I think we all know of this one, where he says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Here, Paul is describing and talking about his own struggle with temptation and sin. The inherent sinful nature that lives in all of us. He has, if you read the whole thing in chapter 7, as it's about 15 to 18, I think, um, he is at war in his mind, desiring to do what is good, delighting in God's law, but at the same time, he is being reminded that he is falling short of what is required of him, which is that's the purpose of the law. And while the law gets a bad rap, the law is nonetheless essential. The law exists to expose sin. But once we hear of the good news of Jesus Christ and of the gospel and receive the love of Christ in our lives, the law takes on a whole new meaning. The law now functions not to expose sin, but to guide us, to help us to live a Christian life through the work of the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is through this function of the law and the work of the Holy Spirit that we continue to be transformed but we still have to deal with that inner struggle. And I'm often reminded of the cartoon characters like Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck, where you see them and they've got the little angel sitting on one side and the little devil sitting on the other, whispering into their ears, do this, no, no, don't do that, do this, do that. That, That's sort of the vision that comes to my mind where we have this, we feel like we uh, have this internal battle going on where we're trying to do the right thing but at the same time we keep having that other voice in our head say, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it'll be right, not going to hurt anyone, you'll be fine. And this can be explained through uh, attention of saint versus sinner, the little angel and the little devil. When through the work of the Holy Spirit, a person accepts in faith the forgiveness of God in Christ, then in the sight of God, we are considered to be a saint. When we accept Christ in our lives, we are considered to be a saint. And Paul uses this term quite often when he refers to people who have been called to faith and into the fellowship of the church. When we accept Christ, God considers us a saint, which is amazing. And this happens when our relationship with God has been restored. We have been made right with God through the sacrifice of Christ. Martin Luther explains this, that through faith, 
We are different. We have a new, clean heart. And that for the sake of Christ, our mediator, God will and does regard us as completely righteous and holy. Although sin in the flesh is still not completely gone, God will nonetheless not consider it against us. Now, does that mean that we can continue to to sin and be assured of forgiveness? Of course not. We are called to live righteous and holy lives according to the grace and the mercy that we have received. However, we still experience that struggle. There is still that tension in our lives. The, sin, the effects of sin are just so deeply embedded in human nature that we still often fall short. And that is how we can be simultaneously a sinner and a saint. We all experience this. And I know for myself, I know every morning I should devote a decent amount of time in the morning to prayer and reading the Bible. But pressing that snooze button for another five minutes of sleep is just all that too tempting. In fact, I set my alarm 20 minutes before I need to get up just so that I can press the snooze button. And I have tried setting it earlier so that then I get up earlier. I just press it more. Just press it another six times instead of three times. <laughs> Pretty hopeless. And I know that. But, and despite knowing that starting my day with God and his word is good for me, I, it's, I really struggle. I struggle to get out of bed in the morning. But being transformed isn't just about incorporating new activities that are beneficial into our routine. It's also about identifying parts within our attitude and character that we need to change. And God can make these things quite obvious to us when they need to change. The Holy Spirit is constantly working with our, within our lives, trying to bring to our attention the things that we need to change especially if we are to present ourselves as fully mature in Christ. I'm sure there are many more, but I'm going to share with you one particular occasion where in my life this was true. Just prior to meeting, to meeting me, my husband Adam had been in a bit of a rough relationship and hadn't been particularly great. And I, I did tell him I was going to share this, so 
it's okay. <laughs> and um, when I came onto the scene, I, um, I got the sense that he had been through quite a lot at that time and he was not in a really good place. And I'd heard quite a few stories um, from his friends about his ex-girlfriend and how I was a ray of sunshine in comparison. Of course I am, yeah? Just look at me, I'm a ray of sunshine, yeah. And of course, like, because of these stories, my opinion of the ex-girlfriend was not, and, and like any exes that we come across, we don't think too much of them. Um, and I had met her on a couple of occasions because she was still part of the extended friendship group. And needless to say, on meeting her on these few occasions, my opinion of her did not change, especially um, after an occasion at her boyfriend's 21st birthday. She had had a few drinks and ended up sitting on my boyfriend's lap. And I'm like... Ooh. No, I didn't hit her. <laughs> Though she was sitting on one knee and I promptly sat myself down on the other and just went... <clears throat> anyway. So you can imagine my surprise. So given that, you can imagine my surprise when she turned up at the church I was attending... I was fuming. I was, of all the churches that she could have turned up to, she chose mine. My church. Go to another one. So as it happened, the church that she came to, my church, my church, um, was the church that her, she and her brother attended when they were kids. And they started to attend regularly. They were revisiting their faith. Now, believe it or not, I am not actually confrontational. So she had no idea that I was harbouring this animosity towards her. But God revealed to me that I needed to forgive her for the pain that she had caused Adam and myself. But really, even though she hadn't really caused pain towards me, it's amazing just how much unforgiveness and hurt we can harbour towards other people that have hurt people that we love. God reminded me that that church wasn't mine. It was his. It was his church. Who am I to say who can and can't attend his church? Who am I to stand in the way of someone coming to know of the love and forgiveness and grace that comes from knowing our Lord Jesus Christ? In this circumstance... God hit me with a big truth bomb. And he brought me back down to earth from that pious place I had put myself. And upon reflection, 
I can see that just how Stephen rebuked the Sadducees, I was far from being transformed. I was in a holding pattern. My heart needed some work. Even at that early stage in my life, in my early 20s, I considered myself to be a mature Christian, but clearly I was far from it. So you've heard one of my stories, so enough about me. What about you? Is there something going on in your life that is preventing you from being transformed? Are you in a holding pattern going round and round? Have you started and been derailed just like the Colossians because you've listened to the wrong people? Or have you gotten to a point where you think, yeah, no, I've got this thing. I know what I'm doing. I'm good. Or is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Because holding on, as we've learnt before, holding on to unforgiveness means that we get stuck. And we need to forgive so that we can continue on our own journey of transformation. How do we keep moving forward? We need to, in order to do this, in order to keep moving forward, we need to come to terms with this tension between saint versus sinner, this little angel and this little devil in our heads yelling at each other. And the best way to do this is to remember that we, as Christians, we all live under the umbrella of God's forgiveness. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is the only word in this world that speaks of grace mercy and comfort and we have the assurance of the forgiveness of sins. By asking for forgiveness and repenting of our sins, we recognise that we cannot get through life on our own strength. By repenting just like the prodigal son did as he fell into the arms of his father, we too are acknowledging that we have walked away from God. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are making our way back towards God. In his book on the Christian experience of forgiveness, Macintosh explains God's forgiveness in this way. Just as the sun shines and enlightens nonetheless brightly when I close my eyes, so the throne of grace, this forgiveness of sins, is always there, even when I fall. Just as I see the sun again when I open my eyes, so I have the forgiveness and the sense of it once more, when I look up and return to Christ. If we are truly serious about transformation, 
then we must recognise that we cannot do it alone. Our church, life groups, fellowship groups, play groups, all connect us to the larger body of Christ. Besides the Bible and the work of the Holy Spirit, these groups and friendships that we form through them provide the most influence in our lives. They provide encouragement, example, discernment, accountability and redirection when necessary. We are all disciples seeking to follow the example of Christ. While we don't always get it right, that does not mean we are not disciples. Being a disciple is about being transformed and it's, being, it's about being on a journey. It's not about having already arrived. So as you leave today and move forward and ahead in your week, I would love for you to think about two things. Something that you need to stop doing and something that you need to start doing. While we will never escape that tension of being both simultaneously a saint and a sinner, the Holy Spirit continues to work in our lives, strengthening our faith and helping us to be who God intended us to be. You know it's not going to happen overnight, but it will happen. So what did happen with that infamous ex-girlfriend? Well, she gave her life to Christ. And through a young adults Bible study group, we became really good friends. So much so that I had the privilege of reading the Bible reading at her wedding. If we accept and allow transformation to happen in our lives, we will most certainly be blessed by the relationships and the experiences that we would not have had otherwise. Would you pray with me, church? Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus so that the relationship between you and your creation could be restored. We pray that through the work of your Holy Spirit, you would continually work in our lives to bring about transformation. We pray that we will be ready to act and listen and that we will never remain stagnant in our faith and that we will seek to be continually transformed. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.